Hello, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm CJ. And I'm James. And this is the only podcast where we don't care if you have come back from the dead den what's. Get out of my pub. The only spirits in here are gin, whiskey, and vodka. So go on, get out! And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And this week, we are finally up to the the two-part series finale for Series 2, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. But as is tradition on Two Hearts, before we dive into the discussion of this week's episodes, um, how are you doing? Look, I'm good this week. Um, I'll be honest, I'm just counting down the days until I break for Christmas so I can... Uh, come back home to Adelaide and see all my family and my friends and my buddy James. Um, Your fam? My fam. My fam. Um, sorry, gosh. Um, I can do a much better dirty <laughs> accent, uh, but not now is not the time nor the place for it. Maybe next week. Um, so I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm also fine. Um, you know, life continues to be life. Uh, holiday season coming up hopefully provides uh, a nice refresher and a little bit of a break from, from everything that's been going on this year. Um, mm. CJ and I were just discussing this afternoon before we jumped on here, actually, that, um, it's very bizarre to be at the end of another season of Doctor Who. Uh, series two for us has taken a bit longer to do just because there's been various troubles behind the scenes and things we've had to work through, but, um, uh, Ultimately, I'm I'm happy we've made it this far. You know, most podcasts usually drop off after a few episodes, so I think we've we've shown great skill and stamina in sticking it out this long. <laughs> That's it. We did our duty for Queen and Country. So, um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, so yeah, I guess before we, because um, obviously we've got a fair bit to get through tonight. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the two episodes. We're going to do a little season two recap at the end for you folks as well. Um, we clearly have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this season. Um, but before we get into that, it is important to note that there have been a couple of, um, I guess, like leaked photos of production of the next series of Doctor Who. Um, yes, there have been. We've got a couple of uh, night shoot photos coming in from various people who are able to go and see the, uh, the show being taped in wherever they're taping it. And a few today or the last couple of days emerged showing Jodie and Medip out on the streets. It was really nice to see the two of them together just as a little duo, uh, which has gotten Twitter afire about the possibility of an all-female cast for the first time in Doctor Who. That would be truly amazing. Um... And the other mm. leaked photos were of a, a spoiler alert, um, were of a, a leaked design for the new iteration of Sontarans. Whatever you, which th- to me looks a lot like the old iteration of the Sontarans, <laughs> but I'm a layman in this topic, so they're actually the design seems to harken or uh, they've they've stuck a, a lot closer to the original design, which is the black and the big metal helmets. Um, like it, the the two thousand and eight two thousand eight design didn't really change a lot other than making them blue, uh, which I like right. a lot. But yeah, they, it's basically the same, but yeah, just back think, to the original black. Yeah, the silver stuff, the silver and black. I don't know. Uh, um, to me, it's a it's mildly concerning because uh, it is a pretty big indicator that 
um, Chibnall's plan for the show has now very much shifted gears into, um, hey, remember this? It's the same struggle I'm having with The Mandalorian at the moment um, as, a, as a sci-fi TV show. It's like, you know, you can only rely on callbacks uh, so much. And so I find it, um, I don't know, mildly amusing that on, on the one hand, we've got these like nostalgia dick-shaped helmet aliens coming back and then on the other hand you've got Mandip and and Whitaker out here as like we've said like a historic duo of two women uh, out, out here leading the show um so you know one foot well I guess two foot forward one foot back kind of situation um but look Remi- I'm, ju- I'm just happy they're at least making it <laughs> well exactly exactly and I think it remains to be seen as to whether it's a actual like just you know fan wank for fan wank's sake or if they actually have something interesting to do with this, the Sontarans this time around. I mean, we haven't watched Revolution of the Daleks yet, but just based on the bits of material that have been coming out, it looks like there is an interesting angle they're going with this time around in terms of what the Daleks are going to parallel to our current, you know, life. Um, Did you want to talk a little bit on that, James, on the, the promo images that came out? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought those photos up because I completely forgot that they existed. Um, but there is a collection of, you know, high-def stills kind of released from um, the upcoming special. And for the most part, it's a bit of a nothing, you know, just kind of like, oh, look, it's it's Daleks and no, oh, it's the Doctor. And we've, we've all done this. We've all done this before, right? We're all grown-ups here. But what is interesting is that there is one particular shot that they've released, which is quite literally shot to look like a riot police situation uh complete with like what looks like tear gas going off you've got a dalek leading cops in riot gear um it's very stylized it i mean like visually it looks stunning it it looks a million bucks i would definitely give him points for that um what it it does do for me though and it's again it's the same thing i've always got with chibnall it concerns me a little bit because i worry that this episode is maybe going to be playing with some imagery specifically inspired by the events of this year uh, and not actively explore those themes. And I don't like the idea of, um, you know, writers looking at 2020 and being like, oh, let's just borrow the aesthetics of civil unrest and slap it onto Doctor Who. Um, I find, I think that would be in, in poor taste. Um, but that being said... As we've discussed before, like um, Yaz is is a cop in, in her character. Like, there's a lot of potential there that they could they could really pull on. Um, so I get, it just remains to be seen. Uh, we've only got a couple more weeks to wait to see how that one turns out. But it is interesting at the very least. Yeah, I think I, the only thing I can say at this stage is just let's keep watching and hope that it's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but that uh, pretty much covers the news for this week. It's a bit light on news, a bit light on personal news, uh, and we have quite a bit to discuss in terms of the actual show itself tonight. So without further ado, let's dive right into the two-parter, Army of Ghosts and This is the story of war on Earth. Welcome to Torchwood. Woke up one morning and there they all were, ghosts everywhere. I'm the enemy. Does that mean I'm a prisoner? Oh, yes. Oi, where are you taking that? If it's alien, it's us. We've got a problem down here. Yvonne, can you hear me? We send that thing back into hell. The Doctor lording it over us, assuming alien authority over the rights of man. They're bleeding through the fault lines, walking from their world across the void and into yours. You can't stop us, Doctor. This world's colliding with another. Positions! 
Cybermen. And that's when it all ended. This is the last story I'll ever tell. Okay, so... Army of Ghosts and Doomsday are episodes 12 and 13 respectively of series 2 of the Doctor Who revival. Both have been directed by Graham Harper and written by showrunner Russell T Davies. Now, um, we've been winging our plot descriptions over the past couple of weeks uh, and we are pretty much going to stick to that plan because both of us are too lazy to write out the essays required to properly condense these plots down at this point. Um, but before we do that, as is tradition, we're going to check in with IMDb. So, for Army of Ghosts, when ghosts of loved ones appear all over the world, the Doctor traces the phenomenon to the Torchwood Tower, where some old friends and enemies are waiting. Pretty good. Succinct. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and for Doomsday, Earth becomes a battleground for the Daleks and the Cybermen, with the whole planet at stake and the Genesis Arc activated. How much will the Doctor sacrifice in order to end the war? Uh, uh, that's not a great one. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, what did the Doctor sacrifice? That's Will it. It's setting up stakes that aren't even in the show. The Genesis arc is mentioned for some reason. Uh, it's it's a whole thing. Um, so, I don't mind the Genesis guess, arc being activated like that mentioned, but um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But it's not even established. You know what I mean? These, these guys, they're chumps. They're chumps, I <laughs> Anyway. All right. I don't know why I'm being combative with a website. Um... Okay, so oh, this is going to be a big one, but bear with us, folks. Army of Ghosts um, sees the Doctor and Rose finally come back to modern-day London. They've only been gone for about two months, according to Jackie's timeline. But in that two months, um, these spectral apparitions have started appearing all over the world, not just London. Uh, they usually appear for about three or four minutes at a time, usually on uh, what they call ghost shift. And so it's because it's happening at a certain time of day uh, pretty consistently. Um, the citizens of Earth have kind of like convinced themselves to believe that these are the ghosts of their loved ones. Um, when in actuality, what they are is... Um, well, I guess spoilers, but like, yeah, they turn out to be the Cybermen from the Cybermen two-parter earlier in the season, trying to break through a tear in reality and come into um, Earth One. Let's call it right. Um, they are being uh, unknowingly helped along in this task by Torchwood, which has been like the like this kind of like government anti-doctor, anti-alien-ish organization that's been established throughout this season. Uh, they are operating out of a giant skyscraper in the middle of London at the moment because on the like 60th floor is where the tear in reality is currently kind of situated. Uh, the Doctor traces the ghost signal back to this tower. He shows up there with Rose and Jackie because they accidentally bring Jackie along for the ride this time. Um, he's then greeted by Torchwood, and they're just like, yo, uh, we've got this, like, massive terror in reality, we're fucking around with it because we are trying to harness its energy to, uh, power, uh, essentially a new age for, for the UK, or for the, for Great Britain. Um, the Doctor's like, hey, that's actually not a really good idea, because if you keep, like, picking at that hole in reality, something's gonna come through. Little does he know that downstairs, something has actually already come through. Um, this, like, massive golden orb, uh, emerged through the cracking, um, realities, uh, at the same time that it opened, it essentially punctured its way through into Earth-1. Now, inside this orb, it's revealed that there is a group of, uh, special Daleks who have basically been gifted by, um, their Dalek over lords with the ability to imagine and to think of things. Uh, they're called the Cold of Scarrow, and they are currently harboring something called the Genesis Arc, which is Time Lord technology that was basically built as a much bigger on the inside, like a TARDIS prison for Daleks. They bring it out of the um, the big metal bowl, and they need somebody who's travelled in the TARDIS or through time to touch it to activate it, because that's the way Time Lord technology works. Meanwhile, upstairs, the Cybermen have uh, set up like a little part of the office. They've got like a little corner room where they're slowly converting people into like half Cybermen using those ear implants from that previous two-parter. Um, they convert enough people so that they can take over the rift, and they open it permanently. Uh, or rather open it, I don't know, wider or fucking whatever it is. And it allows the army of ghosts to come through in their actual full forms now, which is as Cybermen. As the Cybermen are invading the planet, so too are the Daleks emerging from their orb. Uh, Mickey is there because he has come forward from Earth 2 to try and stop this all from happening. Um, in the process of trying to defend Rose, though, he accidentally touches the Genesis Arc and causes it to start to uh, unlock, basically. 
uh, the Cybermen and the Daleks then go to war with each other in the streets of London. It's a whole thing. Big bang, shooty shooty, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Genesis arc opens and a whole bunch of like Daleks all spill out. There's a, like a sassy Dalek uh, standoff between them and the Cybermen for some reason. Um, meanwhile, what's his fuck? Uh, Rose's dad, Pete Tyler from Earth 2, has also come through. Um, he's basically like, yo, my Earth got a little bit fucked during the Cyberman war that you left us to deal with. Uh, now they're coming through to you and it's not really my problem anymore. I just want to close the rift and keep my life as it is. Um, he runs into Jackie. Jackie uh, having lost her, Pete, and Pete having lost his Jackie basically have this like weird reunion. Uh, we will get to that. Um, and they decide that they're going to be together from that point on. The Doctor then figures out that because everything that has passed through the rift, it's covered in like some kind of like 3D atoms or whatever. And he's like, actually, if I just reverse the polarity or some bullshit, it'll suck everything that's been in the rift back into it. I'll only open it on one side and that way everything else will be lost into this eternal black abyss, which he calls hell. He does this. Um, Rose basically says, hey, I'm actually going to stay on my earth with the doctor because I'd rather be with him than with my family. Um, her family obviously aren't thrilled about this. And so she kind of like tricks them into going back without her. She's like, yo, doctor, I'm staying with you. Let's open this bitch up and get it done. They open the bitch up and get it done. Everything starts getting sucked in. But of course, Rose starts being all like, oh no, I can't hold on to this lever anymore. And she's about to get sucked into hell with the Daleks and the Cybermen when Pete miraculously kind of like teleports in and saves her, teleporting back to the other world just as the rift closes, therefore permanently sealing the doctor on Earth 1 and Rose on Earth 2 with Mickey, her technically fake dad, and her mum. A few months pass, Rose is quite depressed. She starts having like these weird romantic dreams about the doctor whispering to her about, ooh, come to Cardiff or fucking wherever the rift opens up again. Uh, The doctor uses the TARDIS as a means of like projecting himself into Earth 2 so that he can say goodbye to Rose. They have a really lovely and sad goodbye on the beach. Uh, He fades away and then just as he's having like a solemn moment about the massive loss that he's just experienced, uh, Donna Noble appears in a wedding dress and goes, oh, what? this then and that's <laughs> doomsday and army of ghosts um uh, well done i think i slipped into a fugue state yeah I, I there were points there when i was like is he still talking right but that was all of it well done well done well done. My God, my God, people. So I think that was a solid at least six minutes. Um, Surely. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, well done. You've, you've, you've revealed just how much plot is in this story. And it's, it's certainly chock-a-block full of exposition. But also what you did Lord. is when you were talking about the ending with, with Rose, I, I, I reminded myself about the feeling I felt when I first watched this episode when I was like 12 years old and I'd never, exp- I, okay. I hadn't lost a grandparent. I, I think maybe I had lost one grandparent by that point, but I was very young, but I'd never experienced loss and losing Rose. I just want to preface our discussion of this episode by saying that losing Rose was one of the first traumatic experiences of my life. And I know I'm laughing when I say that, but like, I can't understate enough, like how much that scene affected me as a kid. So, I just want us to have that in mind before we start tearing it apart. Well, that's like, CJ and I are very much on the same page here in that, like, our initial reactions to this show when it was first on is that, like, we both remember this being one of the most traumatic companion exits we've ever seen. Like, I remember bawling my fucking eyes out when Rose got sucked into that wall. Um, Nowadays... Not so much. Um, but look, we are, we're going to get to that. That's a while away in, in terms of our discussion here. So um, I just talked for a long fucking time. So I'm going to give myself a little break here <laughs> and ask in a general sense, CJ, how do you feel about Army of Ghosts and Doomsday? I almost don't want to give you that break only because I'm, I'm still very unsure as to what I feel and think about this episode. Um, these episodes, I should say. And I'm on... I, would like to talk it through before I really put a kind of stamp on what I think is successful about this episode, these episodes, what isn't. Um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm in such a, a two minds about the whole thing because uh, kind of because what I've highlighted before, which is that I guess you could say you're in two hearts about it. We discussed this and I said no. <laughs> that one was a year in the making, folks. You are welcome again. Um, no, sorry, go on. I, I apologize. I won't derail you again. <laughs> Um, no, I was just going to say that I, my, my feelings about this, this, this story rose, uh, and Doctor Who at this point, uh, are all mixed up with the feelings that I have for it as a kid. Like, this is the first series I properly remember watching religiously. Um, I remember when it first, first went out and Donna appeared at the end and I had no fucking idea who Catherine Tate was at that point. And I was all, and I was like oh, I bet it's Rose from the future and she's come back and all this <laughs> bullshit. Um, That's actually not a terrible fan theory. <laughs> they look nothing alike. She's a redhead. She could have dyed her hair. She could have dyed her hair. That's true. I don't know. I think I just didn't want the story to end when I was a kid. So that's why I, I rationalised that. And it speaks... I can't understate enough. And it, I said this to you earlier. I can't understate enough that this was big for Doctor Who not in general but at this point in the revival because Rose arguably was the main character and mm. from this point on I mean there is a clear distinction from this point on it stops being Rose and the Doctor and it becomes Doctor Who as we know it and it's about the Doctor and the companion never really takes a prominent role as prominent a role again until possibly Clara because and again it because Rose and Clara share many traits but one of the other ones traits that they share is that they both carried over from one doctor to another and so became as as a process became the the anchor point and the central character around which the show held together until yeah yeah um <clears throat> yeah like I, I can't I just Rose Rose's exit is is so well done emotionally. I'm not talking writing. I'm not talking direction. Just, I'm just talking about like, just capturing that feeling of losing someone completely and utterly. It's, it's, it's shockingly good. And it's shockingly good because of David Tennant, Billy Piper having such immense chemistry and magnetism together. Um, it's shockingly good just for Doctor Who basis because companion exits were always so humdrum and like, I'm off now, bye-bye. Um, and this was <laughs> proper dramatic. Um, it looks good. I don't know. I could talk forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I think I've given you enough of a break. What about you? Well, I mean, like, you talked for a while there, yeah. um, but you are, like, specifically hung up on Rose exiting as opposed to the episodes as a whole well i mean that's um, what this this story is about it is rose's exit first and foremost that's why it's preface with the planet earth this is where i lived this is where i died um <laughs> yeah that's i mean look that's actually as good a place as any to start this conversation i suppose but um yeah the episodes be well, both episodes begin with a a monologue um from rose in which she is like you know hey I was just living a humdrum life. Nothing ever happened to me on earth. I felt nothing about my existence. Um, and then a brilliant man came along and he lifted me up and he showed me the galaxy and I fell in love with him. And then through that journey together, I die. 
and then the episode starts. And so I imagine back in the day, uh, that would have been quite an opener. Um, and I, it's, it hasn't aged. It has aged, sorry, is what I mean. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I I think it's aged like milk. Um, <laughs> in a way that I think a lot of stuff in this episode has, because to me it perfectly encapsulates my main issues with what happens in this two-parter. Is that like, it is the illusion of uh, dramatic writing without actually being dramatic writing, um, and I find myself simultaneously emotionally engaged with this two-parter in the same way that you're talking about because it's not the writing it's sometimes not the acting it's just sometimes like the uh summation of its parts comes together really beautifully and you can't help but feel what you're supposed to be feeling in those moments um but i think that when you kind of like sit down and and have a have a good long think about this two-parter um if my seven minute spiel about the plot and that was just a bare minimum of what happens in this episode (laughs) i I didn't even mention whole characters who have arcs here. Um, It is such a profoundly busy two-parter that I think somewhere along the line uh, between the end of the first episode and the start of the second episode, it loses all of the threads that it was starting to build up Mm. um, and subsequently becomes a very... um, not unsatisfying, but not satisfying either. It it just kind of flounders for me. Uh, And that is ultimately where I landed feeling about these two. Look, I can't deny that I felt something of what you're saying re-watching them, but uh, when I go to my mind to think about thoughts and feelings and pull apart these two episodes, I, I can't help but get hung up on the what I felt, you know? Uh, that's That yeah. is ultimately where my... Uh, summation of these episodes lies is is what it makes me feel what a good example is like i was watching it and you know seeing rose on that bus series one rose no less like was so like look how far we've come in a way because the rose in this episode does not resemble the one that we see in that opener let alone in series one and i think no, Not- which is a very specific talking point that this episode actually does, to its credit, actually bring up. Yes, so- it does. Long before Clara. Um, I don't know why I had to get that little jab in there, but I felt like it was necessary. I was going to say, I, I was like, oh, are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I came to play. Um, <laughs> no, but um, the other thing I was thinking is is when Jackie's on the TARDIS and they're all they, and they get called to or they, they f- go to Torchwood. I remember just thinking at the back of my head, oh, Jackie's never going to go home. Oh, Rose is never going to go home. They're all... this. Oh, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's more than, you know, Donna eventually goes back to her family. Martha makes that choice herself. Everyone kind of gets these happy endings in some form of another. But for Rose, it is... It's just proper tragedy and this episode these two episodes are in typical Ru- russell t fashion like very bleak and very brutal in parts um and it, which is i think where his his strengths lie we've said that many times it's just when it's met and matched with his more comic book instincts that maybe the episode falls a bit flat 
Um, yeah, and it's because like he can't help but do the big comic book battle finale. Yeah, um, because I think in in his mind as a writer, um, if he doesn't do those big moments, it's not. It, it can't be a finale. Mm. Like, it's just, it's synonymous for him that big battle equals but dramatic ending. Having said that, you know, those big, that, that big shot of the Daleks over London was iconic at the time and still retains some power to it. So, like, the, the power mm. of those images isn't completely wasted, but it's definitely aged uh, and it definitely reveals the thin depth of exploration here. I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which is actually, I guess, like, as... Like, a, a decent place for us to start kind of pulling this apart from is that um, as a two-parter, we've really got two big things to talk about here. Um, we've got the conclusion of a whole bunch of character arcs and the dramatic emotional elements of that. And we've also got the functioning of the plot. And I, I think the plot stuff is the much weaker element. And mm. I think maybe we should probably tackle that one first. And then we can uh, sort of take a look at the characters and see where they've ended up across um, the two series and how we feel about their endings. Mm. So... I want to start with, you just said the iconic image of the Daleks above London and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, and this is something that we talked about earlier, but the idea that in 2006, six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that the concept of having the Daleks and the Cybermen on screen together, duking it out, right? Would have been gold, Mm. like solid fucking gold. And so... I try to put myself in that headspace and, and I try to sort of cast my mind back to how I felt about it at the time as a teenager. And like at the time, I absolutely adored it because it is fan service to the highest degree. It's can, like it's, it's fan service with a capital F is what we're dealing with here. Um, I think the thing that stops it from, uh, as a Star Wars fan, this is a conversation I have to have a lot because like, <laughs> Um, fan service can be done in, in one of two ways. Fan service either serves both the fan and the narrative, uh, in terms of, you know, thematics and dramatics and all that, all that good shit that I love so much, or it just serves the fan and kind of leaves the story out in the cold. Um, I think what this episode makes the mistake of doing in wanting to have its cake and eat it too, by having the Daleks and the Cybermen here is that it underserves the Cybermen, even though it establishes them as the villain in the first part, um, doesn't do anything with them thematically. Like they literally just exist to be robots again. Um, And then with the Daleks, it introduces a fascinating concept and then just kind of like abandons it when it gives them another thousand Dalek army to shoot their way through. Um, And so subsequently I feel like neither one are done well enough. And this goes beyond just my whole like, oh, I wish Daleks didn't show up in every fucking finale. And I don't. But um, if you're going to do it, at least give them something to do. And that's why the Cold of Scaro is so interesting to me. I, I'm glad that you think that because I also, I really, I've said this to you a couple of times, but I really appreciate that there was a through line of narrative plotting with the Daleks and Russell T's era. And every time they came back, uh, yes, they came back with frequency, but there was always continuity from their last appearance. The Cult of Scaro forms the bulk of their of the RTD kind of uh, vision of Daleks in in Doctor Who. Um, uh, and uh, I, yeah, I, I can't speak to... I like the fact... I think the, the cliffhanger for Army of Ghosts is an all-time best, um, just for its sheer shock value. Um, and I think it's perfect, like, level of tension. So having the Daleks appear in that moment is... 
So very good. Um, you're right to say that it's f- fan service because it is. And I think Russell T knows it is too. Um, it, his historic fact that the Daleks and Cybermen up to that point had never appeared on screen together. And it was shocking actually that they never appeared on screen together at the time in the original series. And I think that might've been because of a contractual thing with Terry Nation, but anyway, blah, 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 blah. boring. Um, there was an interview that Russell T did where he said something to the effect, I, I wish I could remember or find it so I could fact check myself, um, where he said that it's the, this is the story of two gods duking it out over the ants of Earth or something to that effect. And, you know, I really tried hard to have that in my mind when I was watching this story, but if that was the intention, it does not come across at all, except for that one no. shot of the Daleks over London. Like, and it doesn't come across mainly because the Cybermen are so poorly, like, they, they're given a, they're given nothing to do in the second act. They are just cannon fodder, um, except for one yeah. good action sequence. Um, and that's a shame because, you know, they, it should have been this, it should have been what he said. It should have been that vision of two master races duking it out, but it's not that. And I don't know if it's not that because of the writing or the, like, there just wasn't the budget or there wasn't the time. There is a lot in this story. Um, maybe they should never have mm. attempted it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that's it. Like, what you just said complements exactly what I was just saying in the sense that, like, you know, you establish something interesting with the Daleks. Like, the if, if you want to use the Cold of Scaro, um, which I, I guess for those listening at home who, who might not know... Um, my understanding of the Cold of Scaro is that they were three very special Daleks four. that, uh, four? Yeah. Okay. Four, four special Daleks, uh, when the Emperor was in like, I don't know, I guess he was like losing the war or some shit. So he got desperate. And as the Emperor loves to do when he's getting desperate, he starts fucking with the DNA of his own Daleks, uh, as we saw in the other finale. Um... And he creates these four Daleks who have the ability to, like, think creatively. Uh, they can imagine things. Uh, they, they give themselves names, which is in and of itself such a creepy, fascinating concept for these Daleks. Um, and so he puts them in, like, the, uh, I don't know, the Infinity Orb or fucking whatever it's called and shoots them out into the unknown to basically, like, hey, you've got all of time to plot and think of a new way to move forward for the Daleks. Um, that is inherently very god race you know what i mean like you've got like these unstoppable killing machines who've now also been gifted the ability to imagine a world in their own image and you've given them both a genesis arc full of their own kind of an army to kind of set out upon the world and a ship that's going to survive literally anything like he made them gods right awesome love it we all love that the problem is you can't do the whole like on oh, two gods facing off if the thing that they come up against is uh lumix version of the cybermen because mm. lumix cybermen carry over the same issues from his two-parter in, in their sort of rise of the cybermen stuff um but even worse now because now they're not even remotely the focus here anymore uh they're used for a couple of like convenient scares in the beginning and to establish why the uh the rift gets uh fully ripped open and whatnot um but again they have no personality they have no motivation outside of just oh we're gonna upgrade you we're gonna take away pain and that's Mm. it's just basic it's cyberman 101 you needed like a cyber leader there if you're gonna do that you need someone who has like the black bars on his head or who's like i envisioned a new world for the cyberman do you know what i mean like if you're gonna do it yeah i was do it just thinking that like you know in the daleks in the cult of scaro they have the they have 
four Daleks of personality, which is groundbreaking. In and they also have Dalek Sek, who is like this all black Dalek. Um, their leader, who like is a character, you know, he's not just a random Dalek. He's a proper character. Uh, you're right. It needed it needed a, another type of character on that front for the for the Cybermen. At the same time, I kind of feel like it's almost on the intention on RTD's part that once the Daleks show up, the Cybermen take second place because they've always taken second place. They aren't they the same of the same caliber of as the Daleks in the Doctor Who monster hierarchy. Um, and I wish mm. that the show had uh, had like <laughs> challenged that a bit more rather than just relegating out to to that natural hierarchy yeah like you don't have to play okay if you're gonna play it out you can go one or two ways with it you can either challenge it and have a conversation about it or you lean all the way into it which is what they almost do when the humans and the doctor and the cybermen team up for one scene to fight off some daleks and so you see there the seeds of like oh wouldn't it be interesting if uh the doctor was like hey i can't beat an army of daleks alone i need my own army you guys are literally soldiers uh let's just put this shit aside and get this done for today kind of thing um but again that that idea is like sort of planted and then immediately abandoned like so many other in this episode um and i think while we're talking about the uh failed ideologies of Hmm. this two-parter you can't not talk about torchwood i would love to talk about torchwood i've put a whole section in our notes specifically geared towards torchwood because i think it's possibly one of the most fascinating things that the show has ever dreamt up and done nothing with. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly right. Like it teases you and then it just refuses to to follow through on anything. And it's heartbreaking because, again, I don't like the Daleks coming back in finales. We've established this many, many times and I'm sorry to keep harping on it. But Torchwood, specifically the Torchwood represented in this finale, yes. is ideologically perfect to be the grand villain of this season because they are literally representing everything that the doctor's sort of been fighting against this entire time sometimes in a very like deliberately echoing way like if you think back to um the satan pit and the impossible planet and how again you've got a bunch of humans harnessing an unknown energy source that is potentially dangerous and one of them mentions we could fuel the empire Mm. in this episode you've got torchwood they show up and uh the the head of torchwood who is uh what is her name Yvonne Hartman. Yvonne Hartman is like this fantastic vampy blonde businesswoman. Like she's very like girl, girl boss kind of power energy vibe. Um, and at some point, you know, she casually mentions like, oh, this is all for the great, uh, the good of the British empire. And uh, Jackie's like, there isn't a British empire. And she's like, yeah, not yet. Like they're literally harnessing mm. alien technology uh, to build up this very like, uh, you know, Eurocentric, uh, very white uh, you know they, they claimed it's it's that the they've got the like the aesthetics of diversity in their workplace like there's very much like oh it's important to know everybody's name here when you're building a fascist empire like there's so much good shit in the the beginnings of army of ghosts where you, where you think torchwood is kind of going to be like this big presence in the episode but then because he can't help himself but get back to this like big fan wank fest um that's another thing that is just completely abandoned yeah, it is a shame because there is so much good setup here with Torchwood, uh, with everything that you said um, about how they claim to be acting on the behalf of the British Empire. They're like, ooh, we're a very modern organisation. 
but they use imperial measurements and they uh, like there's i think there's like a mini sode this season uh, had mini sodes that went out before the episodes went out and the one for army of ghosts was of a journalist who like gets close to the truth of what torchwood is and and like basically gets sectioned uh, and has his memory mm. altered like these are all very shady government operations like it's textbook x-files shit but what's more interesting about it is the fact that they are acting on behalf of an imperialistic um colonizing version of britain and so when yvonne hartman's saying i did my duty for queen and country yes it's a funny rtd quote that he likes to put in the mouth of uh female characters to have them repeat things harriet jones mp for friedale North. exactly exactly harriet jones is the clear successor to that um but it takes on this extra in- dimension when you consider it from all of those other points of views which is that you know yvonne is the worst kind of villain in that she is unutterably she's acting on a belief not on logic or reason it's on belief of the right of britain to colonize the rest of the world and Mm. the fact that she plays the role with such like you say like she's a vampy girl boss just adds to that like level of menace when it comes to her but that's all i don't know they don't do anything with it (laughs) they don't do anything that's it like they just run straight into a wall with it um and it's deeply frustrating especially because like in army of ghosts you know like you've got the the ghosts that are trying to come through and i mean to be fair it tips its hat way too soon and lets you know that they're cybermen within like the first like fucking 10 minutes or whatever it just can't help itself um but beyond okay if, if you removed the the titular army of ghosts um downstairs you've still got that like big void ship that's come through and there's a lot of really good stuff surrounding that that reminds me of um like uh, again it's that event horizon stuff that that other mm. satan pit two-parter was hinting at with that whole you know everyone who sees it gets a really like cold shiver like they feel like it feels off like it's giving off the wrong kind of energy but they can't explain what that is and this is my big like swing for the fences uh concept for this this finale two-parter is that you know i think the void ship should have had something akin to the uh like the devil presence from that other two-parter in it only because it would then pay off the concept that the doctor is again fighting something he can't comprehend so it's not just another dalek and another cyberman but you've also got it also paying off this concept that's kind of been seeded throughout the show this season which is that humanity when coaxed into the wrong kind of belief system becomes a very natural enemy of the doctor um you pay off all the stuff that happened in the initial christmas special here with uh torchwood blowing up the fleeing ship and essentially committing genocide um you get a a fresh take on a villain and you allow torchwood to actually flourish and be the problem that they were always sort of built up to be throughout the season because you know bad wolf was built up as this big thing throughout season one and bad wolf became a linchpin of that finale torchwood is built up and becomes a plot device of this finale yeah, it is a shame, and I've just thought to myself then, though, that to be fair, I don't, I'm not sure if Torchwood was ever meant to be anything but a backdoor for a pilot at the same time, because, yeah. you know, obviously the same year that Series 2 went out, the first season of Torchwood premiered, um, which followed on the events of the finale, uh, 
brought Captain back, Captain, Captain Jack back as its main <laughs> uh, character. And whilst it didn't deal with this Torchwood, it dealt with a different branch of Torchwood. And uh, granted, one that was built in the ruins of of this one, it deals a lot with the 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 leftovers from this ruined uh, system uh, mm. of Torchwood. And so I'm not excusing that anything that we're talking about. I think we're all, I think we're still on the same, uh, we're still on, I don't want to say the right page, you know, it's our interpretation basically. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it, it, it is, uh, it is largely this, it's just setting up the aesthetics of this organization to, to then say, switch over to channel three and watch Torchwood, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, okay our interpretation of it granted absolutely that i mean that's the entire point of this show is that we can just talk about how we feel about doctor who Mm. it does bring up an interesting point though and you know you you said that like uh probably to the creators of the show torchwood was only ever meant as this like backdoor for a uh, a new series to start um do you think that when they were writing this finale that um they viewed this version of torchwood as at at most chaotic good because you get yeah. moments with Yvonne at the end there where it's like, you know, I did my duty for queen and country when she, she gets turned into a Cyberman and then like, she gets like the tear rolling down her face. Mm. She gets like the hero moment. And like we've said, the show is completely unwilling to actually engage with the, uh, the politics or the optics of the thing it's clearly doing. And so I just wonder if this is again, like that Harriet Jones moment where it's just another example of he's kind of like, inadvertently written quite a scathing critique of the thing that he thinks he's doing in a cool way. I, based on what he's written in the past, based on what he's written in Torchwood um, in general, I think Russell T is extremely, extremely clever and extremely well-versed in politics and real world and like social justice as well. And so I think what he's actually sort of doing is using all of the, I don't want to say devices because, you know, it's real world stuff. It's not plot and narrative structure and stuff like that. But he's using the devices or like the, um, the things of imperialism and colonialism, etc., um, as funny sound bites and not properly tackling with the reality of the situation he's dreamt up. And maybe that's, I don't think it's ignorant per se. I just think that it's, um, he, he's, he's choosing not to engage with it specifically, like with, Mm. uh, deliberately. Um, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's just not, he just doesn't care enough about that to go into any deeper. It's not the story he's telling basically. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, very garbled. <laughs> but oh no, no like I, I get what you're driving at cuz I know that like um a little inside baseball for you here folks. Uh when we first talked about this concept of um the way Russell writes these kind of things sometimes and there's a reason I specifically brought up that example of um the doctor getting Harriet Jones thrown out of office through a sexist remark. Uh behind the scenes CJ and I had like an extensive conversation about uh prescribing intent to to Davies as a writer um and I firmly fall 
on the side of, um, you know, the piece of work that they offer is basically all I need to have a conversation about the piece of work that they've offered. Um, and so I do think it's important that like, you know, with the, the Harriet Jones stuff, I think that he unintentionally did a sexism. Um, with this stuff, I don't think he's like unintentionally doing a problematic piece here. Like he doesn't need to be the focus of this episode. Um, I just think it's interesting that like sort of, you know, we're dealing with a, like you, like we've said, a writer who is quite clever. And based on that one, like, five-parter that I saw of his in um, Torchwood, that, uh, you know, Children of Earth, um, that was scathing as a critique of, of government and power and systems. And it was so self-aware of all of those things. And so to see Torchwood here now simultaneously represented as this kind of, like, again, she's vampy, she's cool, she gets a sympathetic hero moment. Um, they're played as, like, goofs. Um, while also retaining the aesthetics of a critique of, of, you know, Western power. Um, I just, I think it produces a really messy result. Yeah. I, 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 only because I know you, James, I, I would push back and say that it is messy because it isn't complete. Um, but it isn't complete because it's not meant to be complete because the story Russell's telling here isn't, isn't actually one of Torchwood. Torchwood just ends up being a framework by which to bring together the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Doctor and Rose. (laughs) And it's really, it's really ultimately just the setting for the events of these episodes. What he's, what this, what he's really doing is wrapping up two years of Doctor Who, wrapping up Rose and, and Torchwood just happens, Torchwood just is the ants that they're, you know, that they're acting on. Um, right. Yeah. I guess. I mean, that's exactly what we talked about in that intro, talking about the, um, uh, the upcoming special with like the Daleks, uh, being used with those police and right gear and whatnot. It's kind of like, is that going to be just again, a framing device mm. to enable, uh, the wrapping up of two seasons and, and character arcs and whatnot. And I don't like that the show does that when it's dealing with, um, like very specifically inspired by real world shit like this, I, I guess is my sure. ultimate point. Sure, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that's valid, um, and maybe this is the kind of story that would have benefited from not from being a mid season story instead of a finale because it has to tell because it doesn't get the opportunity to go into the kinds of details that we would like as viewers. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and, and again, though, the, like, and this is like the major critique of this episode for me is that like it had the time to do that. It just chose to do a Cyberman Dalek finale instead. Mm. And like, cause it does shift gears substantially after about well, two thirds of the first episode. Yeah. The first episode I'm for me is so crap. <laughs> um no and it's funny that you brought up the impossible planet before because i couldn't help but compare this to that um in terms of its first episode because like the impossible planet the army of ghosts is a lot of walking around and a lot of exposition and not a whole heap of drama or tension until the until the end um yeah and i think that's a, a problem plotting wise it is. And then on the flip side, Doomsday is way too much pew pew, bang bang, explosions, action stuff. Um, like, neither episode gets their balance right. And so, 
and I feel like this is actually kind of like very similar to what I said about um, the season one two-parter is that like they're two very uneven episodes and combined they form this messy, occasionally satisfying, occasionally unsatisfying uh, coagulation mm. of fan service. <laughs> but whereas like those, that first that first series uh, finale was very clearly two episodes. Um, there is through yeah. line, there is a through line and um, the same story being told here. Um, True. But yeah, I hear True. what you're saying. Um, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time and I'm wondering should if we should uh, get into the meat of the episode and the characters of this story. Because I think a good place to start might be this a scene that has given us a lot of pause for thought. Um, a scene that has remained controversial for both of us. It's a scene of reconciliation. It's a scene of love. It's a scene of hope. It's a scene of two people who've never met each other falling in love. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, okay. Let's... <laughs> Let's start from the top and work our way down. Uh, let's talk about Jackie Tyler and Pete. What's his name? His also surname's Tyler. also Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scene that CJ is referring to is, uh, as I said in my plot description, um, Jackie from World One, which is the the base reality. Rose's mother, Jackie, um, is in a corridor and she comes face to face with Pete Tyler from World Two. And as you remember from uh, the Cyberman Two parter earlier this season, um, that Pete had his Jackie uh, end up getting converted into a Cyberman. Um, he is a very successful businessman, but also a little bit morally dubious. We weren't really sure on that one. Um, and him and Jackie get reunited in a sense, in, in the, in another sense, they meet for the first time. Um, and it's bizarre because the doctor is like this fucked up Cupid in this moment. And he's like, Oh, go on. You two makes perfect sense to me. His wife is dead. Your husband's dead. Why not? Fuck. And it's like, what? I, I, I thought long and hard about this scene and about where I stood with it um because what watching it again i see what you're seeing but as i said at the start of this episode i can't let go of the the things that i felt and and felt as truth when i first watched it and so yes it's you know it's fucked and it's it happens way too quickly um and you know, some of the writing is, is, you know, pretty pat and res- it's, it, but like, I just, I can't get around like the fact that it's so well acted for a start, Camille Kaduri and, uh, him, I genuinely can't remember his name, Sean Dingwell, um, just- He liked one of our posts on Instagram. He did. Thanks, Sean. I'm sorry I forgot your name. Um, <laughs> um, Camille and, and Sean uh, acting together are just sublime and uh, just, they evoke a sense of a history, shared history in the scene where, uh, you know, Jackie's like, you know, 20 years and I never left that flat and, and Pete's talking about how much money he made. And uh, it's clear that they have different histories and yet they somehow have found this perfect union. I mean, 
it's not perfect. And yes, it is a rush scene. And yes, it does come in the middle of a lot of action. But at the same time, like, isn't it not the power of science fiction that two people from parallel worlds who lost the other can come together and resume this kind of thing of universal love, which is something that Doctor Who loves to trade in? I don't know. I just have a really hard time critiquing it when it, it, it when it is perfect with lots of cracks. I mean, it's a beautiful lie. That's for sure. Like, you're absolutely correct because the performances are amazing. It's really well written. Uh, the music is really good. It's it's shot really well. It, it's, it's an exceptionally good scene. And I really enjoy the scene. My problem is that Pete, throughout this two-parter, mm. uh, oh, is constantly like, fuck this earth. Fuck Rose, she's not my daughter. He literally... So when when I said in my description, like, you know, Rose tricks them into going back to their reality without her, right? And at that point, Jackie's like, fucking take me back. I have to go back for my daughter. Uh, you know, we can't leave Rose. And Pete's just like, like shaking her, like, oi, she's not my daughter, okay? And it's just, you can't do that scene after their reconciliation. Um, you can't have this version of Pete who is not even... He, he exhibits no growth. No. Uh, he's colder than he was in his two-parter. Um, he has no heart. He has no connection to these characters. Um, him and Rose, I don't even think they really fucking talk. Um, it, it's just... It's, it's my problem with, with a lot of stuff to do with Rose's time on the show is that, like, Russell is so good at the aesthetics of feeling, but he doesn't do anything to earn them with Rose. It's all just, I'm telling you that they're happy together through the music and through the camera work and through the acting, and so you need to believe me. When you look at everything either side of that scene, including another moment where Jackie's like, I, like they're getting into a fight about leaving Rose behind, and, you know, Pete's like, like, Jackie, what are you doing? You've got to come with me. And she's just like, I've been without you for 20 years. Why would I start needing you now mm. when I've got my daughter right here? Everything in the script supports that they shouldn't work together. And I'm including everything across these past two seasons because every time we've seen this couple together, they're not happy. And I don't love this idea that, like, at the end, the only way to give Jackie a happy ending is to get her a fucking dead husband's dick back. Can't argue with that. Um, thank you for arguing Try. your corner <laughs> admirably. Um, I do hate Pete <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I don't think he... Sh I, I mean, we've said in our Rise of Cybermen discussion that, you know, Pete is so out of place in that episode and, and largely should never have come back. And I think it's just on the basis of wanting to give Rose this semblance of a happy ending... Which Russell will come back to again in another series finale, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, that he necessitates this coming together of this family unit that maybe shouldn't have never should have never come together. You know, um, uh, yeah, Pete's a bit of a, a dickhead. The bit where he yells at Jackie and says, "You know, she's your daughter, not mine," and she just starts crying is so heartbreaking in isolation, uh, but also in. Um, relation to everything else that's happened. Uh, yeah, Pete's a bit of a shit cunt. But a good way of thinking about this story is about, like, is through Jackie, I think. Because I was saying to you earlier, um, like, 
the army of ghosts in particular and doomsday by extension throws into sharp relief just how much the doctor has thoroughly fucked Jackie over um not only taking her daughter away but into such peril that she just lives in constant fear of what her daughter's going through at any stage you want to say something I mean, like, yeah, but then you look at the way that Jackie is at the start of this episode when Rose I gets know. back and she's just like, hey, welcome back, sweetheart. We've got fucking ghosts now. And <sighs> it's like, where was the Jackie from Love and Monsters who was like melancholic and, and missing her daughter and miss feel like she was missing out on everything in life? And like, uh, uh, sorry, this is a much bigger point about Jackie that we're going to have to get to, but like, uh, can t- finish your train of thought. Well, I was just saying like, you know, there's the line where she, the doctor starts spoiling the, the the ghost for her and she's like you know you're spoiling it and you realize that like she's had no one for like months and she only had this ghost basically to fill the void of that lonely apartment um and Mm. you know that's one point against the doctor the other bit that really traumatized me actually was at the start of doomsday when the um the cybermen take yvonne and jackie off to be cybernized and, like, you're like, oh, holy shit, Jackie's going to become a Cyberman. And she's being dragged away, screaming at the Doctor, you know, you did this, you gave me your word. Um, like, her life has literally been shitty for him. Um, and, yes, it's been beautiful in other places. But I can't help but feel like Jackie has never, has never gotten a good deal from the Doctor. And he's thoroughly shitty to her through Army of Ghosts, like, constantly mm. little digs at her like oh don't tell anyone to travel in time and space with mother I'm, I'm i'm a child and i don't uh, have any kind of i'm insecure and stuff um <laughs> <laughs> um the point kind of got away from me basically i could tell <laughs> <laughs> basically i i just uh, I was struck by how much Jackie suffers through this episode and suffers at the hands of her daughter as well. Um, because Rose... Well, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's my counterpoint to what you're saying is that, like, it's also Rose's choices that hurt Jackie. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's... Not to get too ahead of myself, but um, it is really obvious in the scene where, you know, Rose makes the decision to stay with the Doctor because she is in effect abandoning her mother and there's a curious little line mm. of, of abandonment. I've made this point in the school reunion episode and it's good thinking about school reunion actually in relation to this episode as well. Um, because of the lessons Rose learned as a companion then. And the, what I felt was emerging at that in that story, which was this fear of abandonment because all she's ever known of the doc of being by the doctor's side is that eventually you're going to get left behind. The same thing happened to Jack same thing happened to Sarah Jane. Um, and, you know, I think in that moment where she's like, I'm going to be with him forever. She's trying to mitigate that feeling of being worthless or like being left behind. But in effect, does that same thing to her mother? Um, I don't think yeah. that the show yeah. like remotely engages with that again. Ugh, that's going to be a common criticism. Um, but Well, that would require it to, like, engage directly with the emotional reality of Jackie, um, mm. other than sort of treating her episode by episode, um, which is where a lot of my issues with Jackie in this two-parter come from. Mm. Tell me your feelings. 
<laughs> well, like, as I said earlier, like, you know, we start this episode with, um, uh, Jackie goes back to being all like, oh, you know, like I'm sassy and I'm fun and there are ghosts here. And it's like, this is the same apartment where a Christmas tree tried to kill her. A Slovene has tried to kill her. Like, this is a Jackie who has been through two seasons of understanding that aliens exist, that threats are out there, that, you know, things are often not what they seem. And so to launch into this with a Jackie who is just so naively happy about these ghosts automatically puts me off center because ideally you have Rose and the doctor come back. And instead of her being like, oh, welcome back you two, I've missed you so much. She's like, where the fuck have you been? I've been calling you, you're my daughter and something really scary is happening on my planet right now um and that way you at least facilitate a bit of tension between uh where rose is headed as a character and what she's leaving behind with her mother um other than just having like oh in this scene she needs to be the caring mother role in uh, uh her and rose have a scene together in the tardis where she needs to be this like cruel mother to Rose in this scene because you know she's like oh you even you look like him now you know working the TARDIS and like you know at some point I'm gonna die and you're never gonna come back to earth and the woman that you become when you move away from me is not gonna be Rose anymore like it's so cold mm. and cruel and it just it doesn't line up with the characterization of Jackie that we've gotten so far um and then it all you know horribly culminates in this idea that like oh, she'll just be happy with a Pete instead of her Pete because they are fundamentally different men. She doesn't know this man. And what she's seen of this man is him being profoundly cruel to her. Um, and so I just don't think that this episode gives a single fuck about Jackie's uh, actual interiority outside of what they need for her to be in any given moment. But she's so good. Oh, she's great. What a, what a fucking performance. <laughs> Like, I hear everything you're saying, and I, I don't want the last time we talk about Jackie to be... They really fucked her over, this. didn't they? Um, because she has been uh, a breath of fresh air. We've been heading here for a while, though. But she has been... Uh, she's been good. I've enjoyed my time she with her. Love and Monsters Jackie, and I think we said this at the time, she is never as good as she is in that episode, because it is an episode specifically built around both her experiences and her personality. It incorporates mm. both of them. Uh, whereas the worst Jackie scenes are just ones that ignore her experiences and need her to just be like, oh, she's she's a bit of a fuddy-duddy, isn't she? Like, she, oh, she's old. Like, ugh, what is this? Yeah. Look, yeah, Jackie gets pulled from pillar to post... It's either tragic or it's a farce. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. a round of applause, please, for Camille Kaduri, uh, the best... Oh, that's it. Like, this is season wrap on Camille Kaduri, uh, absolutely incredible stuff. Like, she she is a genuine delight, um, and I would never take away from her performance. She, she excels despite what the script needs her to do at times. Um, so, yeah, round of applause for her. Speaking of series wrap-ups, mm. we are now uh, at the end of Mickey's arc as well. I was just about to talk about Mickey um, in the sense that there's the scene, the scene where the Doctor comes in to confront the cult of Scaro and he sees Rose. He's like, hi, Rose. Blah, blah, blah. And then he sees Mickey and he's like, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Nice to see ya. Um, it, there's this kind of level of respect, which they were building to. It is a journey with him. I get it. But there's a level of respect and uh, equality between David Tennant and uh, Noel Clark in that scene. 
that I really quite like. And like no, like Mickey in this episode is, has grown exponentially. He's definitely not anyone's sidekick at any point at, at this stage, even though he has a minor role. That's because obviously the episode isn't about him. Um, and I just, I was watching that scene and I was like, God, I would have really liked a whole season with these three. I know yeah. people love David Tennant and Rose together. I love David Tennant and Rose together. They do have a good magnetism, but Mickey's presence just really just broke the clickiness with the two of them and made it such an enjoyable act. And I know we have, we only really got them properly in girl on the fireplace, but like, yeah, I don't know. It was, Damn, it was good. good to see Mickey again. And, uh, Noel Clark is really good. Yeah. And I mean, unfortunately that is kind of the, the beginning and the end of the conversation about Mickey in this two parter, because, uh, he is, barely part of this thing um him and rose get like a cute little a couple of moments together uh when they're stuck with the daleks um but other than that there is there is not much going on here with mickey not really no um it's nice to see him play a character who is you know thoughtful but action orientated um you know he is there with rose at the very end saying goodbye to the doctor he isn't in any way... He's not the emasculated, like, Ooh, it's always going to be the Doctor, never me, Mickey, anymore. You know, he's entirely... Stands on his own two feet and is so secure in himself. Um, and it's a shame that we haven't seen that evolution. It, a lot of it has happened off screen. But this iteration of Mickey that we get is still a good one. And one that I, I enjoyed spending time with for as little a time as possible. So, unless yeah. you have any other thoughts, yeah, I, uh, no. I mean that that's kind of it with with Mickey. Unfortunately, like yeah. I, I really like him. Again, Noel Clark delivers a fantastic performance. Um, but again, uh, it's just another victim of this two parter being as as packed full as it is. Is that you don't get, um, you don't get much uh, work with Mickey here. Um, but still like him. Still like him. Series wrap. Noel Clark. Well done. Well done. Well done. Now, oh. here's the thing. <laughs> we 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 need to talk about uh, Rose and the Doctor. <laughs> Do we have to talk about the Doctor? Can we just talk about Rose? Well, that's kind of the other thing is that like series two. If you go back and listen to our thoughts uh, across this this season, um, the Doctor is not ill-defined. Um, but I think this is, uh, very season two jitters. Um, I don't, I don't feel much for this era of time with the doctor. I think Russell T is still very much learning what he's good at and what he's not good at in the role. Um, and unfortunately I think you get a lot of directors and, oh yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, with David Tennant, he gets a lot of direction across his time in the show that I think that people equate him being loud with him being good. Uh, and I think that as just with some actors, that's true with David Tennant. I think it's the exact opposite. Um, I think anytime that dude underplays any role that he is in or anytime he gets to keep it on more of like a subdued, even campy level. Sometimes I think he does an exceptionally good job. Um, <clears throat> and it's, 
I mean, it's a testament to, to that exact point that, like, a lot of his best work in this two-parter comes from his more quiet, fun moments, as opposed to the big screamy moments that we've seen a lot in this season that we're going to see a lot moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with that on the whole. Um, there's a really good bit of acting when he confronts Yvonne uh, and she's like, oh, I'm going to pull levers and I'm going to bring the ghost through. And he's like, all right, do it. And he's just sitting there staring at her. And the look on his face is just so manic and, like, truly, like, unknowable. Like, you do not know what he's thinking in that moment. Um, and it's a nice it's a nice little bit of acting. But on the whole, I agree with you in that, like, this Doctor and David Tennant has largely been ill-defined this season. And all the more so because it's in sharp contrast just this season alone is in sharp contrast to season one Eccleston, which was a perfect mm. little arc of a doctor story. And yeah, this is not the same story. This is not going to be told in, in a season. It's not going to be wrapped up in a season. It's ongoing. The, the, the clear definite, like the, the, um, the clear indicator of that is the ending being that Rose is left behind, but it's the doctor, that continues and goes on and continues to have adventures. And so I think we have the germination of something here um, in that, you know, this is a doctor who looks like us, thinks like us, uh, looks like us, uh, talks like us, but ultimately is not us and can be cruel at times and can be, you know, blustery and angry at times. Um, but that is all to come. And I think we'll see a lot more of it for the better and for the worse with Martha um, next season. But yeah, um, David Tennant, you know, you ultimately you he's a very likable person to be around. So I, I enjoyed the journey this season with him. But yeah, not a lot I think I can say about him just right now. What the... Yeah, that's it. Like, I was just thinking, like, how much time we dedicated to, like, you know, the themes of this episode. We just talked about Jackie for a while, like, the, the Cybermen and the Daleks and all that good of sort of fun stuff. And then, you know, I looked at our sort of our show notes plan and it's like, oh, talk about the Doctor. It's like, I don't even know what I meant to say about him at this point because I don't know what this finale tells me about him as a character at all. Well, I think... It, I think there's something here. There's something here and it is in, it's in the scene where the doctor's explaining the void stuff and he's getting really excited about it. And you can see that Rose is like riding along on his energy um, and they're just mm. kind of riling each other up. And that scene is like undercut by the doctor just sort of casually saying that he needs to part from her and she needs to go to this other world. And it's truly alien because like of how little he takes her feelings into consideration. Like he doesn't even imagine how hard this is going to be for her. Um, and this is something that we will see much more so going forward is how his manic energy kind of pulls people along in its wake, but also leaves them devastated at the same time because they mm. mistake him for being human and he's not human. Yes. Yeah. And that's the tragedy uh, of Rose's storyline is she fell in love with somebody who just could not love her back. Um, Mm. ultimately i mean that's not we can discuss that but yeah uh well i mean like 
we're, we're butting right up against it now, so we may as well dive into it. But like, um, that is ultimately where this season leaves Rose. Um, it is, it's a tragedy. It's a love story. Um, and I think that it's obviously flirted with if it was going to do like a more of a romantic stuff between the two of them um, throughout this season. But uh, and this is this is something you and I discussed um, just before we started recording, actually. But like at the end of the episode, once Rose gets sucked into the void um, or rather teleported to the, the other world and she can't see the doctor again. Um, he then, you know, he takes the TARDIS, burns up a sun to use its energy to project himself there, Luke Skywalker style, to like say goodbye to her. Um, and at the end of their exchange, she very devastatingly and i mean all credit to billy piper here who i think even if we are a bit iffy on rose as a character on the whole now you can't deny the the magnetism of billy piper um she delivers this knockout line of i love you to him um and to me it is well beyond friends it's well beyond even companion and doctor um well, I think we often forget that this is just like a, what, 20-year-old woman at this point. Um, and I firmly feel it is the first time that she's told a man that she loves him. Um, and it's so heartbreaking and so tragic and so well-delivered. And, and I really adore that moment. Um, and it does put a very definitive uh, cap on what their dynamic had been developing towards. It does. And I was um, I was struck when you said that to me earlier today that, you know, this is probably the first time she's fallen and they told somebody that they, she loves them romantically. Um, mm. And it, 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 when you say that it puts me in mind of, of why this story was so eagerly taken up by the pre Tumblr generation of kids on the internet um, was because it hits all of those marks of romantic, tragic, twilighty kind of love. It's unfulfilled, mm. it's chaste, it's um, all-encompassing, you know, it's... It's a first as well. It's a first? It actually, well, I could debate that, but I don't want to right now. Um, um, <laughs> it's... Look, I think that depicting a, a romance between companion and Doctor isn't a bad impulse to have. And I think it could have worked really nicely with these two if it had been presented in a much healthier way. But the love that the Doctor and Rose, or the, the love that Rose shows for the Doctor and he shows for her, because I think they are two very different things, um, is ultimately, I think, shown in relation to the kind of neurotic and paranoid behavior that it, it brings out in them and the uglier sides it brings out in them. And I've said before that I like, one of the things I really appreciate, appreciate about Rose is that she is all there warts and all, and it results in, you know, uglier aspects of her personality that was revolutionary. Then it kind of still is now because a lot of female characters aren't allowed to be um, nasty or, mean-spirited in places they have to be good and accomplished and all-round um mm. so but at the same time at the same time it wasn't their the, the, the romance was not particularly well fleshed out i think we can say that with some 
authority now at the end of the season. And yeah. um, I don't know. Do you feel the same way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's been our season long problem with season two is that um I don't mean like I, I apologize for you listening at home, but like we've kind of completely left this episode behind because outside of the plot functionality, um, it either directly relates to its character work or it doesn't. And with with Rose and the Doctor, um, this is an ending that is um it's a mile it's a mile like you could see this coming a mile off like this has been a long time coming um how it actually happens in terms of like i mean you don't really give a shit about the fact that like oh the lever gets stuck halfway and so she has to like risk her grip on it to pull it all the way back and that's how she ends up getting sucked through and like it's all just it's it's perfunctory do you know what i mean yeah. you're here for the emotional reality of of these two saying goodbye to each other which is i think why we started our conversation about this uh two-parter with that point that you bring up is that like you do feel it here. Oh. Um, the problem is that we've felt it a lot of times throughout this season, um, but I don't believe it mm. is where my ultimate issue comes in with season two, because like you've said, it doesn't flesh it out. And because it, it decides to kind of like um, half-heartedly commit, it, 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 it is that whole, like it wants to be both things. It wants to be like fun, run-of-the-mill Doctor Who and companion you know, going around the universe, having cool adventures, nothing serious here, folks. It's just two best friends. And then on the other side of things, it wants to be telling this like deeply connected love story about a alone God who is finally opening up his heart again. And a young woman from earth who sort of came from nothing and, and discovered this entire galaxy of opportunities available to her through this man that she then also falls in love with, who also kind of reminds her of her dad. And it's like a whole thing. <laughs> But because it doesn't commit to that side of things, it just kind of like plays with it, you know, it very in a very lazy way sometimes, I think. Um, you get this, again, not satisfying, not unsatisfying ending to a character who in season one, at least, you could see the seeds being planted for uh, Rose to be, you know, one of the old timers. And I think a lot of people still very much feel that way about her. Um, but now that we're at the end of season two and the sun's you know, finally set on this era of the show, um, all I'm left with is this uh, profound sense that everything I loved about Rose and the Doctor together was a byproduct of my age at the time. And because I was taken with the, again, the aesthetics of the dream because it's well acted because it, the music is really good um i i remember the feelings um but i have very little to hold on to now as as an adult watching this stuff yeah and we've also been spoiled by um gen like clara <laughs> i was on on it was honestly on the tip of my tongue but i was like i'm not gonna go down that route um, we have been spoiled by years of prestige television following Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. And I know Doctor Who paved the Definitely. way for a lot of fantasy TV and sci-fi at prime time uh, to, to come along after it. But, um, yeah, like, better stuff has happened since then. And, you know, revisiting old... Revisiting these episodes in the same way as revisiting episodes from the sixties and seventies and eighties and la la la, uh, you, you have to place it in its historical, uh, in its historical spot, not only in terms of the world uh, that it was made in, but in terms of where you were, if you were around when it was being made. Um, and I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Like it hits 
all the spots that it should for kids and teens and, you know, for adults watching with their kids or adults watching it for the first time, like, it still, it still hits all those marks, but not necessarily on rewatch, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, and, like, I, I, it's a testament to the show and uh, to the work that they did at the time that so much of it does hold up as well as it does. Um, because while this season has had quite a few low points for us, it's also had some really incredible highs. Mm. Um, like, the, like you know, that Satan Pit Impossible Planet 2 parter is easily one of my favourite Doctor Who stories of all time still. Like, it, it, it earns that place in my, my sort of adult understanding of the show. Um, you know, you've got experimental stuff like uh, Love and Monsters. Uh, you've got just really solid episodes like the idiot's lantern um you school know, reunion it's big school yeah school reunion is really fantastic um the the hospital episode with the cat nuns is really 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 silly but a lot of fun sometimes um it's i i hesitate to call it a bad season i don't think it's a bad season it is just one of the most uneven seasons yeah it's uneven and it's it's hitting after a very dark season one uh it's it's hitting a lot of lighter tones as a result as to sort of balance that um which isn't a bad instinct you know like you want to keep it fresh and light and different um and you know next season we'll see that dark darkness return on a on a much bigger scale you know um I I have you know, you know you have to place it within its spot uh, in the chronology of Doctor Who. Um, I I feel like we're we're jumping ahead a little bit. Like I, I feel like we have more to talk about with Rose. Um, I don't know. Do you do you agree? I don't know. Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, this is <laughs> no, look, if, if, look, if we're going to have this conversation, like, um, I, I think an inevitable I... end point for a lot of this stuff this season has been that, um, you specifically have struggled with accepting this new understanding of Rose. And well, so I think that it's, I, I want to push back cause it's not a new understanding of Rose. I knew the things you were talking about were there, but it's been, I guess, a letting go it's been more personal in terms of like, it's been a letting go of, of, um, the preconceived notions that I have of Rose in these episodes so that it doesn't get in the way of our discussions here. Um, because that has definitely clouded my, my judgments when it comes to episodes and, (laughs) you know, you've noted that several times and I'm sure you, the, the listener have as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with that nostalgia. Like, and I, I do think that's what a lot of it comes down to with you and Rose is a nostalgia factor. Um, it's a love factor. I, you know, I love. Oh yeah. That's the thing. N- nostalgia is not a dirty word. Like I, I'm firmly in the camp that like, I, I think nostalgia is, is a really lovely thing. And I think that um, when stoked in the right way, it can be quite beautiful because I mean, who doesn't want to be fondly reminded of their childhood or f- of their formative years? Like I'm all for that. Um, my, it's just, yeah, like, uh, I had that same nostalgia for Rose. Like, I remember before we even started doing this podcast, um, you know, when we were first sort of germinating that idea and we were like, you know, oh, it's it's going to be awesome to revisit Rose. We're going to get to talk about fucking Rose Tyler. <laughs> like, I was so excited about that. And I mean, so were you. Um, and I think my 
uh, you know, deprogramming or my, my sort of like falling out of love with Rose or my, and my memory of Rose um, happened harshly and it happened very quickly. Um, and with you, it's been this kind of like slow uh, deconstruction of, of a lot of those, like you said, those preconceived notions that you had going into this character again. Um, and so now that we're at the end of it, you know, at the end of a very weird year where, you know, a lot of innocence has been shed in a lot of ways Um <laughs> to to have to finally kind of like let this this topic go and let this character go as well um it's a weird feeling to be in mm. you know like i don't want to ascribe too much importance to it like and to say that <laughs> there's some correlation between covid uh, and isolation and oh, rose no nobody's <laughs> saying that like no, that's that's not my point you know that's not my point you motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> What I'm saying, though, is that, like, you know, if you want to have a conversation about how you feel about something ending, then let's have a conversation about how you feel about it ending. Yeah, and I am sad. I'm very... Why are you so afraid of your feelings? Carl? I'm not afraid of my... It, it's, I'm overwhelmed by feelings. You know that about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm ultimately, I'm sad we're leaving Rose behind, and I am sad for what I have lost. I, I, I can't deny that um, because I viewed these episodes uh, as I did as a kid uh, and also as I did in as adult, because one of the, one of the, um, the great things about looking back on memories is that you can always think of them fondly uh, and ignore the reality. But then if you were forced to revisit them, knowing what you did, knowing what you know, as an adult, you, you might realize the the uh, underlying horror of whatever that memory held for you. <laughs> like I'm talking about deep seated tra- tra- traumas or something like that. It's Doctor Who. Come on, get a grip. Um, but yeah, that is somewhat what it's been like uh, with revisiting series two. I always knew was a bit shit, um, but series one definitely it it was surprising. Because I had always held that up as this season of extreme quality. And I still think it is. But I see now that there is has or been a lack of consistency and a lack of depth that I filled in. Um, which is, mm. you know, good. Because it has made me the person I am now. And I think I'm pretty good. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I like, honestly, I feel the same way about like the Star Wars prequels. You know, what I mean, like, there, there are massive gaps in in those things as works of art. But you filled in those gaps when you were younger because, like, you were at such a time when you were like, you know, imaginative and excited about this kind of shit. And so, like, I, I fundamentally get it. Um, and series two is one that I didn't really have many memories of. And now, now that we've we've wrapped it up, I. I imagine I won't have many memories of in the future other than those, mm. those handful of like those, what three episodes that I really, really love. Mm. Um, and look, I'll, I'll carry those with me and, and that's great. Um, and it, again, I feel like, especially with that Satan pit one, like it informs what I enjoy about the show uh, now in, in retrospect quite a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, at, at the end of the day, I just, I, I don't know if there's anything more I need to say about Rose Tyler other than well, everything that's good about her was done better with Clara. <sighs> You could have not said that, but you did. But I, it's what I feel. <laughs> <laughs> there is one thing I do want to talk about with Rose, and it's something that uh, we've danced around 
but I feel like it's quite an obvious thing to discuss. The manner by which she leaves is always very important with a companion. Now, in this new iteration of the show, um, and some companions walk away, some companions have tragic endings, some companions uh, become immortal and fly through time and space, and I'm not by any means... They become the Doctor. Yes, they do. Um, Clara who? (laughs) (laughs) We know who... You know who Clara is. It's not... No, like Doctor Who, but Clara who. Oh, oh. That's funny. Um, I'm cutting yes, this out. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the one of the more interesting things that I've developed as thinking critically about Rose is that she's overwhelmed by this abandonment um, complex. Um, and I think... I, I still am firm in that belief. It, looking at the way that... She, the manner in which she has to part from the Doctor, it's it's... It's funny because, like, she's been so worried about being abandoned by him that she never imagined that she might be literally, like, forcibly separated from him. Um, yeah. And it, it's sad that... It, uh, I think it's sad that, you know, she has to be pulled away. She has to be put into a different universe just to say... Just to be able to, like, live all her life again. Um, and it's sad that... You know, she doesn't even get, like, catharsis uh, in hearing the Doctor tell her back that, you know, he loves her. It's all very tragic, and I get that. Um, but obviously, I do feel a level of sadness. And I'm going to mention Clara, because, you know, we get something of a repeat of this same intention with the way that she leaves the show, but whereas with Rose and the Doctor, and this I think represents a maturing of the show over time, whereas here in its very, very, very early days, it's 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 big emotions, raw emotions, um, I'm being pulled away and it's the worst thing that could happen to me and I love you and I love you, but we can't be together. And that same uh, relationship in the Doctor and Clara they negotiate their way out of that relationship as two equals and as two adults. Um, yes. And so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, think I, it's, I, that's actually been the biggest, uh, discovery of Rose is just how much Clara mirrors her. Um, it's shocking. Yeah, it is. It is genuinely shocking. And like, obviously I fuck around a lot on this show and I bring up Clara a lot, but it does come from a ger- very genuine place of, um, like, her seasons are the ones that I've watched as an adult now. Um, and so I've gone in like all blinders off. Um, so problematic shit, you know, bad writing. I'm, I was ready for all of it. Um, and so to see so many of the past mistakes made with the companions, um, not rectified necessarily, but <sighs> Clara has a conversation with a lot of what the show has assumed about its, its women companions in the past. Um, and I, that's what I find the most fascinating about mm. her. And so, you know, it's not, it's not Rose's fault that she is the the first, you know, um, the show is, is, has definitely matured over time. It's, it's, you know, it's both matured with its audience about what its audience is going to grow to accept. Um, and also with like changing social standards. Um, th- there's so much, so much there mm. that this is like a product of 2006. Um, and so I don't hold that against it. Um, but you know, you also just, I, I, I can't move past that. Like, you know, when I think about Rose now, I'm just like, 
Yeah, that was a really interesting attempt at something. <laughs> Um, with a really amazing performance at its core. Well, and I think this is where we should probably leave the episode because let's end on a high note. And that has been consistently Billy Piper and the performance of Billy Piper. I think that her work after the show speaks to her immense, incredible talent as an actor. Um... we've made no secret of the fact that we find her utterly charming and utterly, utterly just a joy to watch week every, every week. Um, you know, I, I, I think Billy Piper, I think the reason, I mean, let's be real. The reason why the show succeeded as much as it did in that first season and into its second was entirely because the show took a, a punt in casting a teen, you know, superstar Everyone was like, oh, she's going to be shit. She's just a girl. She can't do anything. And Billy Piper turned in the one of the most nuanced, beautiful performances ever committed to television. I'm not overstating that. And No, you're, you're truly not. And I, I'm right there with you on this one. Yeah. And I think that we owe a huge debt of gratitude to Billy Piper to be able to talk about Clara, ultimately. And... The, uh, <laughs> I didn't even do it that time. (laughs) (laughs) It just popped into my head. Just popped into my head. Um, But to talk about the episodes that will follow, because, uh, you know, David Tennant hogs a lot of the limelight when it comes to the popularity of the show. Ultimately, he did take it over the line and took it to its most popular, to its zenith. Um, But, you know, Billy Piper walks so he could run. That's all I'll say. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, you know, in a much wider sense as well, like you, like you just said, like Billy Piper walked so that the rest of the show could run as well. Like, um, it is an amazing performance. Uh, I, I know that I'm, I'm obviously quite harsh on her character as a whole. Um, but there are individual moments with her that I, that are definitely some of the best acting ever committed to the show. Um, an amazing character in her own right. I think when she's allowed to be just Rose Tyler, I adore Rose Tyler. Um, and so I don't want to leave this on like a, on a negative note at all with her because she does in so many ways go on to inform every single companion up and right up until the end of Clara. I think the only companion that truly escapes the uh, gravity of Rose is Bill. Bill is the first major departure into a, a very new kind of territory for the show and its companions. That's going to be both a negative and a positive moving forward um, because we're going to have to have some very interesting conversations about um, uh, the way that this fandom treats, or rather treated, uh, Freema Adjaman in the next season because of Rose specifically and sort of that that holdover of love that they had for that character. Um, and the show. But, De- definitely the show put oh, Martha in an unenviable position. Oh, it, it, it really does. And look, we're, we're both very excited to get there because, like, we both adore Martha. Like, we are really, really, really excited to talk about Martha. Um, it also helps that there are, like, three of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever in season three. Um, so that's that's all that's all to come. We're all very excited about that. But, yeah, like, I feel like the, the resounding last point that I think both of us do want to make about seasons one and two um, is that like Billy Piper's Rose is iconic for a reason and she is remembered for a reason. Um, and 
no amount of, uh, you know, future critical thought about how she was written at the time and and all that fun stuff that we've been picking apart for nearly a year now uh, really does detract from that at the end of the day. Yeah. She's iconic in the same vein as Sarah Jane Smith, as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as a third female icon. Clara. (laughs) There we go. Um... You know, and it's 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 no small feat as well. Like it's it's a perfect chemistry that results in these kind of characters coming around. And I think that Billy Piper was just there at the right time. Um, and I I I, I it's gosh, I'm gonna get very sentimental, but I do ultimately like feel in my gut like I should say thank you just for. The I thank you to the show, but also thank you to Billy Piper for like developing that emotional sensibility in me as a person and a writer. Yeah. Um, because a lot of, like I said before, a lot of who I am now, maybe you don't feel the same way, but it's, it started here. Um, fuck mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Fuck that show. <laughs> fuck her drag. Um, it's Doctor <laughs> Who. Well, yeah. There you have it. There you have it, folks. We have done two full seasons of Doctor Who now. And let me tell you, it has been exhausting. Yes, I am, for one, I'm looking forward to a break, but we have to record two more episodes before this this year's out. So... Oh, honey, <laughs> we have... You've got a big storm coming. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Um, we will we will get to series 12. Um, so, uh, okay, let's begin with uh, Army of Ghosts. What are, you, what are you grading it? Army of Ghosts gets a solid uh, B plus for me. And look, I've got to give Doomsday... i got to give Doomsday uh, at least an A. Just, like, for all the criticisms... That last scene with Billy Piper and David Tennant is just... That's the only word that describes it. It's not even a word. It's a sound. Um, And, you know, uh, well done, Billy Piper. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I vibe. I vibe. Um, Army of Ghosts, for me, gets a B plus. And uh, Doomsday gets a... A C for me. (laughs) Shit, man. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, so, uh, series two as a whole. Series two as a whole. Lots of high points. You know, school reunion, uh, girl in the fireplace, impossible planet, Im- um, idiot slanton up a, a high for me. Experimental love and monsters. Ultimately, there's a lot of good, as there is with every Doctor Who episode. But I think the lows are so low. And the lows in those individual episodes themselves are so low that I can't give it... A, 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 ultimately, I can't give it the most positive grade. And I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. Um, and I think that I don't want that score to reflect my feelings about The Doctor and Rose. I think that made made that perfectly clear during this episode um, about how much love I have for Rose and Billy Piper in particular. Um, yeah. But yeah, not a good season. No. Uh, I'm going to give series two on the whole a... Yeah, because the problem is the highs are amazing, um, but the lows are crushing, and I I don't know what to do with that dichotomy. Um, So I'm going to do what any sensible game reviewer would do and slap this with a hearty six out of ten, which I guess 
what does that bring me down to? Like a like a B minus? What is that? Like a C? Let's go with B minus. <laughs> I can't believe you're giving it a better grade than I did. Amazing. Yeah, it's like it's the ones that I love here are amazing. Um, so I can't I can't go past them. Like, yeah. Like again, you can go back and you can listen to like we've literally done an episode on every episode of this series. You know what we liked, you know what we didn't mm. like. But yeah, that pretty much brings us to the end of uh, series two. On behalf of CJ and I, uh, the warmest of thank yous to you, wonderful, beautiful people, for uh, sticking it out with us. It has been a long fucking year, um, but I think that you know we've been thankful to be doing this show together. Uh, it's been a good way for us to sort of revisit something that we both love. Uh, we hope that it has given you even a modicum of comfort in in this uh, bizarre timeline that we've ended up in. Um, we will be back. We've got two more before the end of the year as well. Uh, next week, we are finally diving into series 12, which is going to be uh, quite the conversation. Yeah, and it will probably involve a look ahead at the at Revolution of the Daleks, which we also will do in isolation once the episode's been broadcast on New Year's Day. Um, and then... But in between that, we will also be looking at, just in time for Christmas, uh, the Christmas special Runaway Bride, which is one of my absolute favourites and something that James will probably loathe. Spoilers, it makes me want to run away. (laughs) Um, Great. (laughs) And then we'll be getting into proper season three. I think maybe we'll take a break, James. How do you feel about that? Just a quick... Yeah, like... Uh, I was going to say, we'll, we'll do Revolution of the Daleks. We'll, we'll get our impressions up on that um, probably really quickly after that episode first airs because uh, everybody likes content. Um, and then, yeah, we'll probably take a couple of weeks off, you know, kind of like uh, recenter ourselves, get get hyped up for Series 3 uh, because we do want to go into Martha uh, just all guns loaded. Mm. We are, we're ready to go to the bat for that wonderful, wonderful companion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you'll probably you'll hear us from us again over the next few weeks, um, and um, that's about it, really. As always, thank you everyone so much for listening every week. And if you want to drop us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show, um, that would be amazing because it does help us grow as a podcast, <laughs> and and it makes us feel just super good. And if you do want to reach out to us, we know you're out there. Um, please you can do so can see at you. two hearts podcast at gmail.com that's the word two uh you can also follow us on twitter facebook instagram hit us up on them socials uh at two hearts pod the number two as always i have been your resident clara obnoxious fan james and you can find me on twitter to talk about clara at omg more james And I have been your sickeningly, disgustingly in love with Rose, CJ. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CJ... No, at Theatricalum. Well, that no was very theatrical indeed. Um, (laughs) Thanks very much, folks. We love you all and we will see you next week. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.